0: Welcome to the Fearless Warrior Podcast. This is a place where truth is shared, taboos are disrupted, secrets are revealed, and power is gained. I'm your host, Danny Temras, and it is my personal mission to empower women in becoming the best version of themselves. Each week, I'm bringing you inspiring guests to help you build your confidence and mental toughness so that you can live the life of your dreams. Welcome to the next episode of the Fearless Warrior Podcast. This is Danny Tamras, your host. My guest for today's show is Portia Marsh. Portia is an incredible warrior woman who's gone through numerous challenges in life, yet always found a way to come out victorious. No matter if it was painful or even traumatic experiences in her life, facing rejections despite her stellar performance, she has consistently persisted to fight while listening to her own intuition, which has brought her to so many successes and where she's at today. Today, Portia is the owner of a franchise fitness gym, Sculpt Health and Wellness in New Brunswick, Canada. She's also a registered massage therapist, Reiki master, doula, competition prep coach, personal trainer, bodybuilder, and health and wellness coach. In this episode, Portia and I talk about her childhood, her early experiences with eating disorders, dealing with traumatic experiences, facing rejection and finding her path to fitness and healing. At the same time, we also talk about starting her own business in her early 20s. If you love what you hear, please share this episode with your friends and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This makes a huge difference in helping others find this show more easily. Additionally, don't forget to sign up for my weekly email on daniellatemras.com so that you never miss a new episode. Now, let's dive into the interview. Portia, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Danny. I really appreciate it. And thank you for having me today. Thank you for being here. I gave
0: this kind of big introduction. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself or just what do you want the world to know about
1: you? All right. So I know at first glance, I do a lot of different things, but it all essentially ties into finding the root cause of a situation. That's what I love to do. I love to problem solve. So I'm I'm kind of like a, a professional problem solver within the body for the whole mind, body energy and having that whole connection. That's what I deal with. I love learning and it's always a forever growing and I'm into a couple of other different courses right now just even growing on that if we were to have this conversation in three weeks time we'd be talking about some more stuff too (laughs) so it's it's never a dull moment so the learning never stops right for sure we'll unpack it one by one so how
0: about we start today's conversation with just learning a little bit more about your childhood where did
1: you grow up what was your life like with your family so, like you said in the intro, I'm currently living in New Brunswick, and I'm not actually from New Brunswick. So I was born in Alberta, and then my family had moved over to New Brunswick, or sorry, to uh, British Columbia. so over on the on the west side of Canada. So my mom's family was from Alberta, my dad's was from BC, and we were out there until I was about halfway through kindergarten. and then my dad came down to visit his sister and fell in love with the area. And at this point in time, my mom was pregnant with baby number three. I'm the oldest of five and I have been in New Brunswick ever since. It's a really great spot. So with the childhood upbringing, so my parents were both stay at home. My dad was in the military and he was discharged early for for an injury. And my mom was always into gardening and and just really making sure that we could be raised as healthy as possible and really utilizing her skills of her own growing up. So both of my parents were raised on a farm. And I think that's why they decided to come out here because there was just so much potential. So. So with that whole childhood of, you know, having to pick rocks and do gardening, and we had this fruit orchard, there was a lot of gratitude and appreciation for all those little fine details. Um, but then as well too, but knowing that it takes a lot of work and hustle to get something down the road and that it's not about this instant gratification. So that was something that was within the background. Like you, if you want something, you're going to have to work for it. So, you know, whereas my parents, they had their challenges so like I said I'm I'm the oldest of five and when my mom was pregnant with the last one there was a lot of complication that rose around so she had to unfortunately go to one of the child specific Hospitals, the IWK here in Halifax, over in Nova Scotia. For my younger sisters, there's all two years between the, all of us, but between me and that youngest one, the one that was having the issues, there's nine years. We were kind of close, and I'd be helping with stuff for school, and it was like this being strong for them and showing to roll things off. And it's like, yeah, this is a hard time to deal with, but it's not going to last forever. You briefly mentioned that your little sister was having some health challenges early on.
0: Could you tell us a little bit more what that was and when that happened?
1: Yeah. So when my parents found out that my mom is pregnant, so my mother deals with a immunosuppressed issue. So when she was pregnant with her last Child And knowing that it was going to be challenging at the start of the pregnancy, but not knowing what exactly to expect. So when she was born, she was given a pacemaker within six hours of the C-section. And I didn't meet her until just before my birthday, which is about a month later. Fast forward a couple of years later, she had an overdose with it. They, she was given seven times more than what she was supposed to. I forget the exact medication. My dad came running out, tried to induce vomiting for her after he re- like realized what had happened. And then it was just like that 911 was called. She was taken away. And then it was just like, holy smokes, we got go to go to the IWK and she's going to be airlifted. So long story short, she was airlifted over to Alberta. Because my mom's family is from Alberta, so it was a lot cheaper just because they didn't know what was going to be happening. So my mom went to Edmonton, and that would have been the start of the school season. So September, she was gone the whole entire school season. And during that time, so my sister, after that overdose with one of her medications for her pacemaker, she ended up needing a heart transplant. And when we went to go visit her for Christmas, the... I don't know if it was the surgeon or the doctor or the nurse, whoever it was. And they said, like, you guys shouldn't go back home because this is not looking good. So basically, like, prepare to have a funeral, which is not what you want to hear going into a new year. And I think just in that process of that whole school year, just, you know, really helping out my dad with getting things ready, because my dad was dealing with pain, right? He was out of the military. He wasn't super active back then. So it was there was a lot of responsibility. A lot of things changed that really changed things because it was just like, a man, like this is who would have thought that that's going to happen and you're going to have that conversation. So it was always on the back of my mind. Um, And I didn't really deal too much with it at that point in time, aside from like, hey, let's not cry over it. She's happy, you know, she's healthy, she's living. And it was kind of just left at that. Of course, you growing up and being the
0: oldest, there's a lot of pressure that is put on the oldest. I often remember, so I'm the oldest myself of three siblings. And I remember always being told, oh, you're you're the wise one, you know, you know better. So you are given more responsibility than others. And that happens for a reason, but looking at this from a different perspective, right? This is still hard on the child, right?
1: So Mm -hmm. how has this experience affected you? Like I said, I never really wanted to talk about it. Even with my best friend, I didn't really talk about how I was doing. So fast forward years later during one of the Decembers, so this would have been 2008, seven years after her heart transplant. This instant really changed it. And I know I bottled a lot of things up into this moment of time 20 days before Christmas, our house burnt down, all within 30 minutes. And I was the one that almost didn't get out. And it was interesting because growing up, there was a lot of times where I cheated death. And it just, you know, we didn't really talk about it because the youngest sibling obviously clearly had it worse. So we didn't really talk about it. I missed my first day of school due to a landslide that was over between Alberta and BC. And that's you know, that's a whole another story on its own. But anyway, so back to this house fire. That's when things really changed for me because I really wanted to control my emotions and and just control everything that was going on. So that was something that as soon as that happened, it was like, oh my gosh, like what else is going to be thrown at us? This is a big deal, right? The house burning down, that is a traumatic experience
0: on its own. And you said you were the last one out. Tell us more about that. You said that this acted as a trigger for you thinking about how you're dealing with emotions or just a few things in life this probably was one of the key events in your childhood, right?
1: Big time. And especially with everything that I do now, which is understanding that root process, it's always like, ooh, what events triggered this ripple effect, right? Like kind of in that butterfly effect sort of approach. So back in 2008 the power went out that night. It was a snowstorm that was happening. And I remember I had the worst headache that day. It was awful. I had this headache going on. It just would not leave. And so my siblings and my mom, they were all decorating the Christmas tree and they were asking like, oh, Portia, do you want to partake? And I was like, no, man, like I got a really bad headache. I'm just going to lay here on the couch. And I had two cats at that point in time. So the one when we had moved from BC, Telescope, she, (laughs) she was sitting on my chest that day and I was just laying on the couch dying of headache and I was just looking at her I was like man you know wouldn't it be weird if you knew the day you died like it just you know, and I just, I, I, just remember being overwhelmed with this thought, and you know, I fell asleep on the couch, and the power is still off, and I was like, okay, well, the power clearly isn't going on. We live in a very outside of the rural, rural area, right? And I was like, well, we're not going to have power today, so I'm just going to go to bed and deal with this headache. So I went up to bed, but when I entered my room, and I remember I was standing there in the doorway, and it was just like I had this overwhelming urge to pack a bag. And I was like, nah, I'll pack one in the morning. And I remember at this point in time, I just remember just really standing in my room and appreciating everything that was in there. And I don't know why, but it was like every little detail, like the bamboo blinds I had, the cheetah bedding I had, the electric guitar, like how my room was set up and just where everything was. So I jumped into bed, put my glasses where I normally would put them. And so keep in mind, I had a headache, right? And I I went to bed. So in the middle of the night, I hear chaos and screaming and it kind of awakens me. And I thought – what I was hearing was my father saying the power is on, the power is on, right? Because he was yelling something and I'm just all deranged because I'm just waking up and it's the middle of the night. And I was like, I'm trying to sleep, like leave me alone. And he just wouldn't stop screaming. And because we were a family of seven, right? And we lived in this huge old convent um, and it was four stories. So they were just renovating the attic. So it was a three-story home, but now it was morphing into this four-story with the attic. So because it was a Big house and a lot of kids, we would practice fire drills all the time in every single grade, especially if you're in kindergarten over here. We do so many fire drills, people should know how to do it like with their eyes shut, right? So I was sitting there and I was quiet for a moment and I heard my dad saying fire, fire, fire. I was like, oh, it's another fire drill. And I was thinking, well, the faster I get outside, the faster I can come back inside and go to bed. So I grabbed Nothing but my glasses. And that was just by habit because by that point in time I think I would have been like legally blind. Anyway, so I ran down the stairs. So as soon as you would come out of my room, go probably about four or five feet out of the room, right? And then down to the left would be the stairs. And then as soon as you're at the bottom of the stairs, it'd be about another two meters before you're at the front door. And I just flew down those stairs. So I never walk down the stairs. If I walk down the stairs, I swear I will trip all over myself. So I just like flew down them as fast as I could. And I jump in the van and I'm sitting there and I'm like, what the hell is going on guys? And all of my siblings are in there. My mom's in the vehicle and my brother turns around, he's in the middle seat. So I jumped into the back against the right side. So the left side of the van would have been up against the house. And my brother turns around, the one that's two years underneath me, and he goes, the house is on fire. And I was like, what? And they were like, look. And all my siblings pointed to the corner of the basement. So in the basement corner where the fire started, right above it would have been the kitchen. And right above the kitchen would have been my bedroom. And I remember looking over and seeing the orange coming out of the windows. It was like, holy shit, this is serious. So we're all sitting there in the van. My dad went back in because my sister with the heart transplant, if she didn't have medication, I think her earliest med was eight o'clock in the morning. It's kind of a life or death situation. So he went back in and grabbed it and it was in the kitchen. So just above where the fire had started. And when he went in, The house was 150 years old, which didn't help where it burnt down in 30 minutes, right? Because it had like the plaster with the horse hair in it, like super old. So he went in to go grab the medication and and he said it was just like melting underneath them and he felt like it was the house of wax. So he came back out. They went in and they grabbed something else. It was a painting that was passed down from the family, which oddly right before everything happened. So this would have been right before school started that summer. And I was like, you guys should move that painting down into the living room. So they moved it down a floor. That painting that was passed down from the family and my sister's medication was the only thing that was saved out of the house. And the cat that was on my chest that day, unfortunately, didn't make it out. My other cat did. So it's it's interesting where... I had that vibe right before where it's like, hey, I should pack a bag. And then I found out that two of my other siblings, I think one had nightmares for like a week leading up. Three of us almost had this premonition. So it was one of these like always trust your gut. And that was always something that my parents said as well, too, like especially my mom. She'd just be like, trust your gut. And, you know, that happened. And I remember we were sitting there because it's, you know, it's the middle of the night. We're 15 minutes out of town. So the next closest firefighting department would have been 15 minutes away. And it burnt down. So four stories cleared. So that happened the 5th of December back in 2008. I went back to school the next school day acting like nothing happened. It was just weird. We were accepting all these clothes from the community, right? Because like nobody saved anything. And we were all in our pajamas. Like nobody had boots. Nobody had socks. So everybody in the community was just giving these clothes. And it was just like, it was really weird feeling to accept help. I think that was a turning point where I had lost so much security and stability, and just like, you know, having a roof over your head, having food, like having all of your belongings and just having that ripped away. It was like, who am I? I just, you know, just kind of floating through time and space.
0: As you said, there were so many underlying things happening at the same time, right? Your sister being sick before, and probably your parents still being concerned about her health. You needed to kind of deal with everything and. Just rebuild your life from there. So I understand that you were quite active in different sports and engagements. And I think at some point you participated even in a singing contest. How was that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so this was after the house burned down. Our area, we thrive on creativity and sports. So In middle school, we had karaoke for our activity program at the end of the day. And so there was one of the songs that I had done, Bring Me to Life from Evanescence. When I had done that song in front of the whole school, one of the teachers, he came over, checked the microphone, and went to see that it was on because they thought I was lip syncing. So that was the song that I had chosen to do for this so it was Maritime Idol is what it was. Um, so very similar to Canadian Idol or American Idol, but like this one is basically just for like school age students, and obviously for the Maritimes, which would be like New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and, and PI and whatnot. Anyways, so I had decided to do this song. Thought it went great right? And of course, I think I did great. And I didn't get through. And then one of my friends who she would always do the karaoke's with us and like, yeah, she, you know, good singer. And, you know, it was great. And I feel like it could have been better. Right. And so she got through. So with that, and I I was really bummed out about it because it was just like, how did she get through? And I didn't. So I went home and I was telling my parents about it. I know looking back that my dad, I know he meant it the way that i didn't take it. Um, And when I told him, so I'm very flat chested. I wasn't gifted uh, in the back or the front, like most people aren't at that age. But this friend of mine very much was, and she got through. And so my father had said, he goes, you know, don't take it personally. Sometimes they just go for a particular look. Looking back, I know he meant it well, but I did not take it very well at that point in time. And I was just thinking, I was like, man, if I could keep my waist Thinner than my rib cage for more of this hourglass kind of looking shape, I'll be good. So, three weeks after this situation, I was watching Intervention until like three or four in the morning every night. And I remember this one episode where this girl ate everything that she had around the house and then she threw it up. And I was thinking, huh, interesting. And it was just the way that she dealt with her stress. And I don't know what the heck came over me, but one day, so after the house burned down, we were living in the spot that was a six-bedroom house, but it had one bathroom for seven people. And so I go and do my shower. And so this one time I went to go do my shower, I was like, I wonder what it feels like to throw up. And I did it. And you know when you know something's wrong, but you do it anyway? It was like that. And it was like, oh my gosh, I got this dirty little secret that I'm going to have to hide. And then time progressed over the winter and I would do it more and more and then more and more. And I was so obsessed with staying this hourglass, but like, I wasn't overweight. I was underweight. If anything, I was totally underweight, but I was obsessed. And I got so addicted to this high that would only last a few seconds after I would do that activity, right? Which is where you you eat and then you throw it up. And, but I got so obsessive and then I got obsessive with it in a way to be like, how can I Be the best at hiding this. I did a really good job at hiding it because my parents were, you know, they didn't believe me when I first told them. And that was months down the road. So that would have been, I want to say it was about seven or eight months later after the fact. That's how I dealt with that singing contest. And dealing with an eating disorder, it was a rough go. And I, it was almost like I gave up on that creativity. So I would still play music, but I just, I stopped writing lyrics. And when the house burned down, like I lost so much of music that I wrote. And it was just, there's that dream just gone out the window. And I was very angry at it. Being bulimic or or just struggling with any eating disorder, this is really hard.
0: And from my own experience, I know it's something that you carry with you for a long period of time, if not your whole life. So I kind of wonder what has helped you recover from bulimia?
1: I'm glad you asked that, Danny. So over the course of the years, just dealing with an eating disorder and trying to hide it. So I I would go away for summer camps and like every year at summer camp, it it ended up being really good because then I was forced to eat and forced to do exercise. And I was always in a really good point in time in my life. And I had access to the gyms because I'd be on these military bases for cadets and I had access to these gyms. So that would help me throughout the summers. But when I would come back for the school season, I would again be faced with this challenge. So it wasn't until... After I was graduating. And so when I graduated high school, I was 73 pounds, 73, 75 pounds, and I was going into policing corrections. And when I was in policing corrections, there was a fitness test that we had to do. And we, I think we were about a month into the program and the teachers were like, Hey class, by the way, if you don't pass this pair test, you don't pass the year. And I was like, man, like I just, I i am good at sports. I'm good at everything. My, you know, my marks are good. And the reason why I was so stressed out about this test was because I weighed 73, 75 pounds, right? Like maybe five pounds more uh, by that point in time. But we had to do the pair test, which is this mock chase, right? This mock push pull, like fight with somebody and chasing them and jumping over things and whatnot. And we had to do it with initially 80 pounds and then do a sandbag carry with uh, I believe it was 50 pounds for the start test. And then later on down the road, I knew to expect that I'd have to do it with hundred pounds. So they told us this, the student loans just took out half my tuition a couple of days before. And I'm thinking, Oh my Lord. So I was dealing with the eating disorder at this point in time. And I would have like little snacks because everybody at school was having snacks. I'd be like, well, you know, I don't want people to start asking questions because I, I, I wasn't in it for that um, by that point in time, and I just really wanted to hide it to myself. So I'd be eating a little bit, and but when the professors had said that, it was like, oh my gosh, I really need to like pick up my socks. So I had asked for the Insanity program from Shaun T from Beachbody for Christmas and a heart rate monitor because we were doing between P90x and Insanity program for school. So I was familiar with it, and at this point in time, I was like because I was dealing with an eating disorder, my knees were just like shot. So I knew they were fine uh, for that program and it was a lot easier than what P90X was on my knees. So I got in that for Christmas. And I remember opening that Christmas Eve and I did the Insanity workout the very next day. And then I continued on with that for the whole rest of the school season. I eventually passed my pair test. And then when I was graduating from the policing corrections program that I was in fresh out of high school, there was this benefit, I guess you could call that, for the local good life. So if anyone in our program signed up, you would get the rest of summer for free. So I then would start going to the gym because at this moment in time, I would do cross country. I did soccer. I did ballroom dancing. And it was, you know, all fine and dandy. And it was more you just had to be light with good posture, right, for all those sports. And fast forward a couple of years later – with going to the gym. So I was approached by one of the gym owners who was like, Hey, like I see you're you're trying to put on size or it seems like you're trying to put on size. You're doing a really good job. And, you know, they really talked me up and they offered for help. And I think at that point in time I might have been like ninety five pounds. And I was like, I don't want to send any before photos. Like this is just super weird. So I wasn't comfortable just yet. And it wasn't until two thousand and fourteen, way after the fact, probably yeah, about four years after the fact and I was approached by so this would have been the founders from sculpt. So like I you had said in my intro, I am a personal trainer for Sculpt Health and Wellness and I own two of the franchise locations. So this was back when I was now a client for Sculp. So before I owned anything, before I was one of the coaches and I was going to the gym All the time I would go from on the weekends, I would go from 8am until 1pm. And the gym staff would joke and they'd be like, Oh, you got to pay rent. And it was more for me to learn. And in 2014, I was asked if I ever wanted to compete. To me, it was someone's noticing how strong I am. So like I said, I I didn't get into policing corrections. It didn't move forward. Well, I graduated with honors. I passed my test, And it was just every time I would go and do something, there was always just this other step holding me back. It didn't happen until that second interview for the RCMP when they were like, oh, come back in five years time. And it was just like, you know what? Maybe this isn't the right time. So This was after I had had that initial conversation with Sculp. So I decided I would do a bodybuilding show within that year. And so I ate like a crazy person all that year. And it was one of those things. So I was going to counseling and I was – it was at that point where I was you know, getting through months of not having a relapse. I wasn't really challenged until that first show. And I say challenged because my food of choice was always ice cream or pastries, but usually it was ice cream or pasta. And when I had moved up here for massage therapy, I always had to drive by DQ. So it was always this challenge and the thing with it as well, like taking a step back – even though I used bulimia as a crutch to control the situation with what was happening, in a weird way I was trying to use it to look like the bodybuilders, right? Like the like Nicole Wilkins, Daniel and Billy athletes like that. So for whatever reason, I thought, oh, you could totally look like that, starving yourself all day and, you know, training six hours a day but eating nothing. And I was very much wrong. So it was probably the one thing that really challenged me to be like, no, you actually need to eat a lot of food. And over the years, one of the biggest things that pushed me away from bulimia and really, really amping up that healing process. So with my sister being so sick, and this was after I was to a point that I was throwing up six times a day and I one day had blood in the toilet. And I accepted that my stomach will probably burst and I I would be fine with it. So, you know, that was probably the darkest point in time. And I remember at one of those points in time and I, I was just having a really bad go. And my dad, one day he goes... Your sister tries so hard to stay alive and you're basically throwing your body away. And it was just a, oh, my gosh, I got to get better. So it went from almost one side of the spectrum way over to the other side. And that was also something as well, too. So because of with the role that I do, so, you know, personal training and massage therapist and I deal with all this all this work there was one of my counselor's partners who works up here and one of my family members deals with psychology and whatnot. And they were having a discussion. They were like, oh no, like she got into health and wellness and this can be totally the other way around. And it was just like, no, like I, I broke that odd. And so it, it went from one side of the spectrum to the other, but that bodybuilding show really just like we need more food and more nutrients and it's not really about restricting so that it really opened up the door to oh my gosh i've been doing this wrong and it like it, it was weird how it unfolded but that really challenged me because i would go from eating and throwing up six times a day like even crackers i wouldn't keep them down i wouldn't keep down pasta i wouldn't keep down vegetables like nothing i would i'd throw up water right if i could i remember i was having a i drank a whole pitcher of iced tea and i was like no i can't keep this in and i like i would throw that up so i i essentially did it so often that i wasn't getting the nutrients and i was getting really skinny and really tired and i don't even know how i made it through those years and then with my most amount of calories i was doing 35, 4,500 calories. So quite the difference, right? That would be equivalent to like a six foot tall man. And as someone who's bulimic, so it's weird. A lot of people think like, oh, you haven't really dealt with emotional eating or whatnot. But it's like I have just because I didn't start off as overweight and I never experienced being overweight. I dealt from overeating and emotional eating from a different aspect. So that's what I do now is I help people with dealing with their emotions and really finding that root cause. And so that's where the Reiki ties in, massage ties in, personal training. And, you know, if someone wants to go, like, to be – within a sport competitively. So I did biathlon. So I also coach people for a triathlon and biathlon um, and marathons and whatnot. And it's, you know, just showing them different ways to reach that peak performance without messing up their mental state. So to get there and be as most healthy as possible, because I know I could, I, I hid my lifestyle. So I will pick that up in my clients when they're when there's something that's holding them back, I, I tend to pick it up. So that's how I tie it all in together. I'm really glad you had that aha moment and that you turned uh, your life around.
0: I mean, when we first talked, my first kind of reaction to your story was like, "Wow, like you do come from a family of warriors." Like when you already were on your on your knees and then your house burned down and then. Your sister was having heart issues. Then later on, you went through bulimia and other challenges that followed in your life or the rejection. That could really put a lot of people on their knees. And and yet you found a way to come out victorious. And then you started competing. You became a professional bodybuilder. Like that is an inspiring story to me. And Thank you. to show that if we really put our mind into something when we do decide to change, to make a change, we can, right? We can also equally stay down, But if we finally decide to make a change, it can happen much faster than we think or we can anticipate. Exactly. You briefly spoke about uh, your work today and how you're coaching clients for marathons and different competitions and all of that. Now, uh, what really keeps you juiced up these days and what do you enjoy the most about your work?
1: So with everything that's happened, so like I said, I'm like, I'm 5'2", I'm super short. And growing up in high school, I was always picked last for gym class, even though my technique was really good. There was always this proving people wrong kind of aspect. So with Helping my clients in this weird way, like if if their doctor says your shoulder's all messed up, this is the best it's going to be and you're going to have to go for surgery. I'm like, let's prove that doctor wrong, right? So I really thrive on that. I really thrive on getting results. So that's one of my taglines is, especially with Sculpt. So whereas I have different businesses, my tagline with Sculpt is changing lives one hour at a time right and then with push fitness ink it's results focus and it's the difference in seeing when my clients walk in and they're you know whether it's frustration and you know they can't lose weight or they can't gain weight or they can't get into this routine that helps them or if there's so much pain that they can't go to work and seeing that one change of focus work on them and really showing that yeah you're a person you matter and we're not just going to take this as some cookie cutter approach but really just really listening to them, right, and really listening to their to their symptoms, and the basically that before and after, and how much of a change and how much of a transformation. I love that. So it's I always tell people, you know, like the more complicated, the better, and because I'm I'm looking for those keywords. And so a lot of the clients that come in to see me, they they're frustrated beyond belief, right? Like they've tried basically everything underneath the sun, they can't get better, they just don't know what to do anymore. So I like to scoop them up and be like, hey, you know what? I know life gets shitty sometimes, but we can definitely move forward. And it's about those small off-scale victories, right? Because dealing with an eating disorder, like I said, I was never overweight, but it was like, we don't have to focus on the scale. Like the scale doesn't define you. And where I went from 73 pounds, so that was my lowest, but my heaviest, I was trying to break 140 before my last show, right? And I got to like 138.7. And so I almost doubled my weight and, you know, you could still see abs and whatnot. And it was just like a, we can do so much of a difference. So that really juices me up is seeing the difference in people and especially being able to take their pain away and showing them that they matter. It's a learning experience with every client and what I take from everyone's story because I can't make all the errors myself and I can't make all the failures myself. And so I might as well learn from somebody else, right? Excellent. I guess too,
0: I want to ask you, what would you advise to a younger girl who may be bulimic or going through a, a, a different eating disorder? What would you advise her to, to think about or just, uh, you know, if you, if you put yourself into your own shoes back then, what would you wish somebody had told you so that you could actually recover sooner?
1: I would have told myself back then that food is fuel. Um, I would have also told myself that there's probably more health concerns with not having enough in your body than as opposed by having too much of maybe one or two different Nutrients, right? It would have made me stronger having those building blocks. Like food is your friend, not your enemy, and you need food, right? You need those nutrients to grow healthy, and that was something like with the bodybuilding. So I've I've always had a really hard time with my shoulders, also with my legs, just keeping that size. And knowing what I know now, if my body was in such a starvation mode. I could have made my life so much more easier if I would have maybe just trained a little harder, right? Because I, I, you know, I love to eat. I was always a foodie and I was doing Pilates. I would be on the Bowflex, but I would have gotten to where I wanted to go if I would have just trusted the process. And if you don't know the answers and why they're doing something, ask. There's no shame in asking for help no matter how much of a control freak you want to be. And definitely food is fuel, don't take that away, right? It's just as important as sleep. It's just as important as water. So it's, your story is not over.
0: Absolutely. Your story is not over. That is, <laughs> there is almost like a great closing line, right? And if you stop eating your body, you're almost going to bring the story to to end. So exactly, we all got to be very careful about what we do. We were given the life as a, as a gift, but then it is up to us how we respond. So now maybe one of my last questions, um, since this is a Fearless Warrior podcast, I ask all of my guests, what does
1: being a warrior mean to you? So I think being a warrior is being able to take the pressure and keep moving forward. And definitely in regards to those people that are closest to you, so whether that's your family, your friends, or for babies, you would do anything to defend those and to help those individuals move forward, no matter what gets thrown your way, that you can take it, you can handle it, and you can show others that it is possible. I think that is very much to do with the warrior mentality, but definitely lead by example. Fabulous. I love that. I love (laughs) that. Thank you.
0: Pusha, any final thoughts for the audience or even those who are listening out of Canada
1: can maybe even check you out um, at your gym? Any any final final thoughts you want to share? For anyone who wants to get started on something and if you don't have all the answers, I encourage you try it anyways, right? And especially if it's trying a new uh, meal or a different healthcare perspective, you know, just starting the gym. I know how the gym saved my life and there is a way that we can deal with all of our frustrations and all of our issues. So I encourage people to just start, trust the process and see what happens with it. And don't be afraid to experiment, right? I would never have guessed I'd do bodybuilding. So I encourage people to get outside of their comfort zone and try new things.
0: I love that. Yes, get out there, see what you like, and just do it. Don't wait. Get started. <laughs> exactly. Portia, thank you so much for, for taking the time today to speak to with us. Where can people find you? How can they contact you and, and just find out more?
1: So I'm on LinkedIn as Portia Marsh, uh, comma, RMT. I'm on Facebook. There's two different ways to reach me. There's Portia Marsh, RMT, and personal trainer. And then there's also the Sculpt Health and Wellness or Macto page. Um, On Instagram, I got two different things going on. So Porsche Fitness Inc is one, and then also Sculp underscore or Mokto. So that's kind of more the nutrition stuff. And then on the Porsche Fitness, that's like kind of the more grittier hard and raw stuff. My email is also another great way to reach me. So Porsche, P-O-R-T-I-A at SculpCanada.com. So that's where you can find me. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you so
0: much uh, for dialing in today. It was such a pleasure to have you here and I think we can all learn from your story, from your battles, as well as from your lessons and successes and. I wish you nothing but the best and I can't wait to see what life brings for you or to you going forward. I'm sure we'll hear more from you.
1: Definitely. Thank you so much. I I greatly appreciate this opportunity to speak on your podcast and especially on the warrior mentality and mindset. There's a lot more warriors out there and and I'm sure this podcast will do great things and encourage people to uh, chase their dreams. Thank you for having me. Chase your dreams. This is a call to action. <laughs> exactly.
0: Go do it. Let's end yeah. with this. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back next week. As Porsche said, chase your dreams, get started and don't wait. What a conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you for spending some time with me and most of all for investing time in yourself. If you found value in this podcast, Share it with your friends and family and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to our episodes. This will greatly help us spread the word and help others find it more easily. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at denny Timras. Shoot me a note and let me know what you thought of today's conversation. I always welcome any feedback or questions. Remember, now that you're here, you're part of a tribe. In this tribe, we care for each other. We lift each other up as well as share the raw, honest, unpolished truth that we often need to hear. So before you go, think about the next best action you can take to get you on your path to success. Don't wait for tomorrow. Make a commitment and do it now. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, have a great day.